it's because they're because it's coming from a different. I don't know. Okay. I, know, like, I mean the the part of the joke. The same way. It doesn't matter. The part of the joke. Put the gate up. It's already. Sorry, Marty. The part of the joke that's funny is that kids and dogs are different. You know, dogs live for ten to fifteen years, and you understand the structure of a joke, right? Man, I, was gonna, I had a really good comeback. You did. But I couldn't think of a single comedian's name. I was going to be like, okay, John Mulaney or something. <laughs> <laughs> you stared off for enough time that it was just like really fast, but also that you could have quantum leapt to a different place in time <laughs> and then come back and you're like, I've been gone for 38 years. And I chose John Mulaney. <laughs> I lived a completely different life. Where's my wife? <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. It's pretty cool having like a job. Like a creative job where it's like... That's the end of the sentence could have happened already. <laughs> it's um, pretty cool having I a job. I can afford the summer sausage. There are and 80 million people out of work right now. <laughs> it's pretty cool having a job, period. Do you know what this is? What? Like homemade sourdough, summer sausage. Is this like a Norwegian thing or a German thing? No. Well, who knows? I don't. But that was the most Wisconsin hot dog <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've ever had. just had an open face Wisconsin hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, should so, I start? Yeah. Wait, wait. <laughs> hey, hey, what's up? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> this is SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. Season one, episode nine. Again, episode nine on Amazon. Bad blood. Okay. Chung chung. Chung chung. So it starts off with Benson and Stabler with a cop at a crime scene. The crime scene is the rooftop of an apartment building. The cop is going over with Benson and Stabler the situation. Dead victim, head bashed in, privates exposed. Because this guy is in like third grade and can't say penis, I guess. <laughs> the tech found seminal fluid on the face, legs, and mouth. And I thought of you. Okay. My question here, and I don't know if I'm going to take this out or not, is would they be able to ID that that was jizz that fast? Like, this just happened. Wouldn't it, like, go to the lab for testing, and then they'd be like, oh, this is jizz. Yeah. I you mean, know? Maybe at maybe in college, the difference between, like... Or maybe they're like, there's a possibility. Syrup, like but he was straight up, like, syrup and seminal fluid. I don't know. I guess I'm, I guess I'm not a jizz expert, but am I? <laughs> I don't know. If I see any sort of white or clear anything on anybody, I'm like, jizz. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be mayonnaise. It could be... Toothpaste. Yogurt. Yeah. Cottage cheese. Ew, cottage cheese, Tasha. <laughs> That is indicative of where I've been. <laughs> it's not. So Olivia asks if she was a resident of the building, and the cop corrects her pronoun and says he, which is like <gasps> really 1999 gasp. He's ID'd as Seth Langdon. He lived in the building on the sixth floor in a two-bedroom by himself. There was a loud party going on the night before, so there's a lot of leads to go on. And um, he was the son of William H. Langdon of the Moral Coalition, mm -hmm. super Christian, who believes that homosexuality can be cured. Right. So they're at the precinct. They have some like insurance papers they're going through. <laughs> Cassidy goes, this form is longer than the last 
book I read. I'm like, we know. So Munch is going on and on about conspiracy theories about the insurance companies knowing all their DNA and all this stuff, which made me wonder if there's an episode where the Human Genome Project comes out and like his reaction to that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So he, he goes up to Olivia and he's like, she's got it right. Just leaving the whole dad part blank. Oh, he's got zero fucking tact. Yeah. And then Stabler's like, hey, keep your eyes on your own paper. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Because he's the fucking Fonz of this show. Yeah. And Munch obviously doesn't know about Olivia's dad. Yeah. And the back father. Uh, mom's yeah. a rapist. They find out that Seth was at the party on the third floor and he went up to the roof at some point. And there are two types of seminal fluid. His and... Somebody else's. Somebody else's, yeah. Craig sends people off to talk to the host of the party and the guests. And then he sends somebody else off to talk to the Vic's dad. William Langdon, known bigot. Yeah. Stabler kind of side talks to Munch about Olivia's dad situation. I don't know why he just told Munch. First of all, he's the last person I would think that you would tell anything personal to. Right. Yeah, it's not Stabler's business to be telling. Yeah. No, I saw it as like, yeah, Stabes. Well, I mean, it's awesome he's sticking up for her, but it's like, you don't need to fucking... Right, but it was almost like Munch isn't... He was like, oh, why? Because... Is he a drunk or something? Gambling problem, fucking deadbeat dad. And he's like, no, dude, the worst thing that you can think of that could be somebody's father is just the dude who raped her mom and got away with it. And Munch is like, oh. Yeah. Slunk. You know he's gonna fucking do something about it too. Benson and Stabler are at the Moral Coalition. Um, They're getting a little shit from an assistant. Not too, I mean, that wasn't too bad. He was just like, how'd you get past the front door? He's like, don't you know we walk through <laughs> double doors together? <laughs> don't you know that if there's a crime scene, we can just enter it with nobody <laughs> questioning who we are? <laughs> I once folded clothes at a gap for 45 45- Five minutes before somebody told me I didn't. <laughs> but anyway, they're there to see William Langdon. For 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, they're there to see w- William Langdon. He's like, it's fine, Stephen. He was a really return of the body snatchers looking kind of guy. Yeah, he was. He looks like a narc. He looks like a cop, like a cop at a party. And you're like, yeah, I know you're not. I know you're not 14. One time when I lived downtown, I lived with somebody who sold a lot of drugs. And these guys came to the door once. And my roommate was like, I think our house is being watched by cops. He's kind of like a lurch sort of presence, uh, this roommate of mine. Yeah. And I'm like, why? He's like, these guys just came to the door asking for drugs. This person. We're here to buy drugs, sir. It was like two white dudes with crisp haircuts wearing their sweatshirts inside out. (laughs) Like, we're just college students. Got any hard drugs? Speaking to my collar. So so yeah, this guy, Ed, we don't like his face. (laughs) So Benson and Stabler go to the Moral Coalition to see William Langdon, which is Seth's dad. And he immediately denies that Seth is gay because it's, quote, a crime against God. And he had sent him to a sexual rehab center to cure him of his homosexuality. He's like, everybody goes through a rebellious phase. Yeah, and it worked. (laughs) He had just graduated recently. Yeah. I do like how they're like, how do you think that you can change somebody's natural... Yeah, they were all pretty... All of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Even they, Munch. Right. Yeah. I liked Munch this episode. I li- have a part of my note that says, do I like Munch? Question mark. I think the more stuff I see, I thought I disliked him for a lot longer than I mm-hmm. feel like I'm actually disliking him. I had somebody message me and give me shit for not liking Munch. What? <laughs> yeah. 
Munch and Cassidy are talking to the couple who threw the party, and these guys come off super classy. Mm-hmm. You can immediately tell that it wasn't a rager. I picture it being a fancy party with charcuterie and jazz music, people standing around having mumbly conversations in like tiny groups. Yeah. And then somebody goes to a little piano and it's like, come on, gather around everyone. Yeah. And, and then like, they play oh. a song and then everybody knows the fucking words. It's not a party I've ever been to. <laughs> They're like, don't make me sing. <laughs> Seth's blood alcohol was 0.15. Cassidy goes off. I know. You would be legally responsible if you were a bartender. 0.15 is just like pretty drunk. Mm -hmm. It's not insane. I mean, maybe we're not the best sources to be like commenting (laughs) on. It's not that drunk. It's pretty drunk, but it's not like scream in the party host's faces. Yeah. So these guys said that Seth had come in with a blonde dude, but Seth got a little flirty after a drink. They assumed that they were together, but they didn't get the blonde guy's name. The thing that further made them believe that Seth and this blonde guy were together is because the blonde wanted them to leave and they had this little spat in the hallway after Seth got flirty with other dudes. Mm -hmm. Seth came back in alone and he grabbed a drink and he went up to the roof. These guys were like, we thought he was going up there to cool off. So Benson and Stabler are talking to a woman on the street. Who the fuck is this lady? I've seen her in a million things and I can't fucking place her. I don't know. I thought she just had one of those mouths. No, she's somebody, and it was driving me nuts. It's somebody that I like, and I couldn't fucking say I don't know. Did you look up her credit? Because she doesn't have a name this entire episode. God. Did you notice that she doesn't have a name? I did not. You're part of the problem. <laughs> This is her talking. We heard, stay out of my life, and heard a beer bottle smash onto the ground. She specifically knew it was a beer bottle, too, which I just like the details of stuff you can't see. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm this lawyer because I watch a lot of SVU, so I'm like, that's your say. (laughs) Like, I object. (laughs) I'm like, what? <laughs> she lives on the ground floor and does light maintenance for the building, and her husband is the weekend super. They do this so they can afford the fancy building. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden, this handlebar mustache Carhartt jacket walks up with a newspaper under his arm with the Seth story on the front page. His name is Jesse. Mm-hmm. It's her husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was weird. <laughs> She says normally the apartment was quiet, the apartment where the party was, but the night before there were multiple calls about the music, so Jesse went up at around 1 a.m. to ask them to turn it down. And when she heard the bottle smash, she looked out and saw a blonde guy getting into a town car. Mm-hmm. We're at the precinct. Olivia is working on some shit on her laptop. Munch saddles up, of course. He's being weird. He apologizes about his comment earlier, and she asks him to not talk about it because only... Read a room. Read oh. a room. You know, I really want to get involved. With, um, no, that's not necessary. It's like, stop. Yeah. There's a, she's telling... Ugh. Yeah. And I, I was, don't care I, what the outcome is. I figured it out. Here you go, incapable woman. <laughs> yeah. I was surprised that she wasn't like, who told you that? Stabler? Well, only only Craigan and Stabler know about it, yeah. and then now Munch does. I would have been pissed at Stabler, too. Didn't even think about that until right now. Yeah. But it's like, I've told my captain and my partner. Yeah. Not the random soapbox dude that I work with. Yeah, she asked Munch to be quiet about it. He tells her that she can talk to him at any time, and I was like, well, do I like Munch now? This is when you thought maybe I like Munch? Yeah, when he was like, you can talk to me anytime. Yeah, I get your intention is to be open and nice, but you were not invited to this party by the person through throwing it. Oh, so the town car picked up Stephen Hale after the party. They figured out they, who the blonde guy was. Yeah, they figured out yeah. who the blonde guy They go to the home of Stephen Hale, and it's the assistant dude of William Langdon. And so Stabler comes up, and he's like, his father had no idea what you did to his son. And he's like, what? Yeah. And then a little kid runs out, and he's like, daddy. And they, they're all like, oh, shit. So they're at the precinct again, and they're talking to Stephen Hale. They're assuming he's gay and that he was seeing Langdon, mm-hmm. or Seth Langdon, and that the dad, William, didn't know. Munch makes a stupid joke. <laughs> 
I know that everybody, they, they still do this, but they make these stupid jokes about all gay people knowing how to accessorize and that maybe he's not gay because he doesn't dress well, yeah. you know? And I was like, fuck you, 90s. <laughs> you know, and she's like, well, he doesn't dress that well. And they're like, well, maybe he's not gay. What the fuck? I so they're know. thinking Steven's gay and living on the down low because he was out with Seth and they think that Seth and Steven had a fight because he was flirting. Yeah, he, yeah. And he was jealous. In this scene, I don't I didn't even write down in what context it was, but we find out that the conversion camp is called Camp Wild Bunch. <laughs> I hate it. Camp Wild Munch. Yeah. God, I bet it was wild. So then Munch goes in to talk to Steven, and this is the most I've ever liked Munch. <laughs> yeah. Because this guy's like, I am not a homosexual. Like, it's the first thing he says. He like screams it. And, and Munch goes, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so part of Hale's job was to keep an eye on Seth. Seth's dad is eyeing for like a congressional seat, but the scandal of having an openly gay son could ruin him. And he was mm -hmm. like, look at what happened with the lesbian sister of Newt. Munch says half-sister, and Hale says she might have been a half-sister, but unfortunate for Newt, she was all lesbian. And then I never give Munch the time of day to transcribe his burns, but I this did this good. time. Yeah, do it, please. All right, so Munch sighs really deep, and he goes... You don't think Newt's problems had anything to do with his ethic violations or him being a pedantic megalomaniac who espouses family values by serving his cancer-stricken wife with divorce papers while she's on her hospital deathbed? Did that ever occur to you? <laughs> Amazing. And then it pans to Cragen. And he's on the like, other side, on the other side of the, of the one glass, way yeah. and you just see you just see Munch like pointing his finger at the guy yelling, and he's yes. like, "Is is Cassidy around? We gotta get we gotta do this again." That yeah. was great. That was good. But then the the funniest part of that is then it cuts to just Cassidy, Cass <laughs> Cassidy in the interrogation room, like with his chin on his hand, like, mm -hmm. so uh, <laughs> then what happened? Seth didn't show up to a fundraiser that his dad was throwing and his dad sent Hale to check up on him and he got to his apartment and Seth had like just kind of run out and was going up to the party mm -hmm. and so Hale had to follow him and was trying to get him to leave they got into a fight because he was like revolted by him flirting with men right he feels bad that he should have tried harder to get him away from the party and that he would have been alive longer <sighs> so at this point I'm thinking that it was the super and he's the real dude that's on the down low like they're saying this guy is yeah. I'm pretty sure it was that sketchy handlebar mustache super yeah that's what i was thinking too precinct check-in basically they find out that hale isn't the guy he's probably not gay in seth's journal he talks about steven but never says anything like we're lovers he probably just talks about like how he's a douchebag who won't yeah. leave me alone and let me live my fucking life yeah he's like my dad's little pussy ass bitch won't get out of my face they end up going to the guest list because they're For chipping the away at it yeah the guest list of the party and it's just like a bunch of prominent fancy motherfuckers because mm -hmm. it was a schmoozy party in a schmoozy part of town mm -hmm. at a schmoozy apartment yeah so the first one is andre lastic he is directing something yeah he's in an auditorium conducting an orchestra rehearsal and they're like we need to talk to you right this second right now and he's like mid that tiny conductor stick in the air i'm surprised he didn't just like keep going it's like yes what's what's the problem <laughs> he knew seth in passing mm -hmm. him and seth were a little flirty but the dude was like i'm like 20 years older and he's probably seeking and, affection right and he's like he's, older, he's older. going through some shit yeah his home di dynamic he probably wanted attention from like older men yeah i mean dude wanted to bone but like didn't think it was right yeah which was pretty good because it's hard turning down sweet young ass <laughs> You know what I mean? I wouldn't have done it. Oh. I'd have been like, yeah, ground rules. Don't call me again. Youth sounds exhausting. Ugh. 
90s alert, he said that Assemblyman Ross Simmons' boyfriend, Joe Bandolini, was there, and he had a camcorder. <laughs> I'm thinking one of those, like, on the shoulder. On the shoulder yeah. ones with, like, a full size. I pictured that until you actually see the, the tape, tape, and yeah. it's one of those smaller ones. Ooh, that was must have been, like, a new 1999, the one, and yeah. it went inside the tape. Yeah, all the videos of me as a teenager, I had a camcorder that had the little tapes like that. You had one? Well, my parents did. Oh. Yeah. I was like, bitch. <laughs> it's the next scene. Benson and Stabler approach a cop car. Officer Bendolini, ooh, twist. Bendolini's a cop. He gets out to talk to them and doesn't want to give them the tape. I kind of went off on a little tangent in my mind because I was like, is it funny that he bears a slight resemblance to a young Bob Saget and they're trying to get a videotape from <laughs> a, a home camcorder? <laughs> And Bob Saget hosted America's Funniest Home Videos in the 90s. Oh, I didn't even catch that, but you're he, right. Do you, did you see it? The jawline now, and the hair and everything was 90s Bob Saget. When you say that, now I'm like, yeah. Anyway, so nobody in his work life knows that he's gay. Not and, even his partner. Right. And he's hesitant to give up the tape, but then they threaten a warrant and promise to keep his secret safe. But there's so much fear for him around being out that he's yeah. like... He's like, yeah, it's going to go into evidence and the next thing you know, it's circulating the Yeah. He's the like, shit. I'm not risking anybody knowing that I'm gay. Yeah. Which is sad. Yeah, definitely. So then Munch is talking to this old dude detective. They're at, he's at the precinct, but he's in like a different... He's in the vice squad. Yeah. yeah. He's obsessing about finding Olivia's dad, father. I don't want to call him dad. I feel like mom, dad is he, a nice... He's obsessed with looking up Olivia's mom's rapist. He's with finding Olivia's mom's rapist. Yeah. Munch is looking through this guy's old partner's notes. Hold on a second. Do you okay. know what's really weird? Yeah. Is Munch is... T- he's like, how do we even do police work without the high tech? Blah, blah, blah. But in episode one, he's fucking going off. Oh, everybody's using laptops and like technology. And Oh my God, like, because somebody that has the annoying qualities that Munch has never has a consistent viewpoint. Yeah. He's a contrarian who's going to argue whatever somebody else mm-hmm. fucking said. Whatever, like, the popular thing is in the room. He's going to be like, well, I fucking hate donuts. Yeah. And it's like, nobody hates donuts, Munch. <sighs> So he's looking through this guy's partner's old notes. Munch is like, oh, not a lot of info on the Benson case. And he stops on a page and goes, any idea what CK means? This blew my mind. This detective, who's in his 70s, if not well into his 60s, pulls it up like a fucking databank robot. CK, well. CK, 68. Carl Kudlek. I mean, it turns out this guy's a pretty notorious, well-known, because Olivia then says that they learned about him in detective school. (laughs) Yeah, detective school. Band camp. No, what is it? Cop college. Police academy. Academy, yeah. Police academy. Saved by the police. (laughs) Bell. Nope. (laughs) Who's Zach Morris in that? Is it Cassidy? Ew, yeah. (laughs) No, it's Stabler. No, Stabler is more of an AC. Yeah. Like, he's, like, friends with everybody, but he's also not fully there enough where he calls women mama. I'm going to say that... Jeffries is Jesse. Jesse. AC's mama. Like the, I'm so scared. You think that's Jeffries? Yeah. Because she's always giving people shit. Oh, yeah, that's true. And she's always the smartest one. Yeah. Oh, my God. And Olivia is Kelly. Duh. Kelly Kapowski. Yeah. Oh, my God. And Craig and his belding. Belding. <laughs> Who's Screech? <laughs> Fucking Munch. <laughs> Holy shit. Let's start another podcast. Okay. <laughs> okay oh anyway. God. Oh, my God. Okay. So. My head is absolutely reeling right now. Oh, my God. I have so many other. I just want to see what kind of shirt Stabler wears when he's out on the town. And then I'll be able to know for sure if he's AC Slater. If it's like a Hawaiian print tucked into really high. Yeah. (laughs) Or if it's like half one color and half the other color. So CK 
refers to Carl Cudlack, 1968. His wife always alibied him for a bunch of rapes, but then she killed herself in 1972, and they got him for the next one. Stabler goes into Cragen's office to find Officer Bandolini sitting there with Mr. Shore, his goal representative, which is Gay Officers Action League. They refuse to give up the tape, and they're saying that there's nothing on it, so we shouldn't have to give it up. And his goal representative is claiming that it's harassment and threatens legal action. Stabler gets like super pissed. He's like, what? We weren't harassing you or... So he's just trying to protect himself and not wanting to give up the tape. But Stabler's like, there could be something on there that we need. And the cop's just like, there's not. Guess what? Anyway. Munch is talking to Benson about how he's digging into her mom's case. He just like comes on up and he's like, hey, what's up? Looking in your mom's shit? I know you told me not to, but I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm Munch. <laughs> She's handling it pretty well considering how much over the line he's stepping. Right. Because she was like, look, I've looked into everything. I've listened to this over and over and over again. He's like, yeah, but. But have you done the thing a white guy would do? <laughs> yes. See, remember how I said you were an incompetent woman? <laughs> Here's the file. Anyways, he gets this file that she probably couldn't find because he had to go and talk to some other old white guy. I can't give this information to a woman. She can't handle it. (laughs) She'll probably get her period on it. Stabler pops in and they pretend that nothing is happening. Munch and Stabler uh, does this little man wrestle thing like, hey, you bothering my partner? It was super weird. I don't like it. How do I approach this scene? It's like, well, you just walk up. And he's like, I'll put my spin on it. (laughs) (laughs) You're the one named Christopher Maloney. (laughs) You got this. And then somebody dabbed his forehead and they high-fived. He knocked out like 14 push-ups. I said that like it was a high number of (laughs) push-ups. So they're at the forensics lab and the DNA came back. It's Ray Gunther. It's not a full lab. She was like, oh, I got the quick... The yeah. quick test results. And they're like, just say the fucking name, lady. They're like really pushing her. Yeah. Ray Gunther. And he was in prison for... He was known as the Parkway Rapist. Yeah. But so like the, there's a key point in here of her telling them that this is the quick test result. This is only a familial result. But we do have this familial DNA in the system. And hey, look at this. Yeah. There's a violent criminal who it lines up to. And they're like, well, shouldn't he be in prison or whatever? He's terrible. And Jeffrey's off the top of her head is like, yeah, he raped seven women and two had reconstructive surgery. He was paroled after 15 years because he was serving 25 to life and the prison system is fucked. Yeah. He had just got paroled like a month ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Paperwork probably moves pretty slow. Yeah. So he was paroled and his address is in the building of the murder in the super's house. What? So we what? go back to the apartment and we're back talking to the building super with the handlebar mustache. And they're like, this is the address he gave when he was paroled last month. All of a sudden I'm like, is this guy secretly this rapist and his wife doesn't know and he's being harbored in the... No. Ray Gunther is Jesse's brother. Yeah. So they're in the precinct. They're in- interrogating the super Jesse. Super Jesse. Wondering why he changed his name. It was because of what his brother did. And he doesn't know where he is. And then it cuts his wife and the wife tells him about the psychological hold that Ray had had on him. So Jesse was 15 when Ray went to prison mm-hmm. and the media came to his school and in front of his classmates who were like interviewing him and Jesse as a 15 year old said he should be put to death and Ray has been working him on that. He's been working the guilt on that on mm-hmm. him forever. 
Yeah. Plus, he changed his name, too, because he didn't want to be associated with that and just his family in general. They sound like all pieces of shit. Yeah, the wife goes on about the how dad shitty being, everybody is. Yeah, the dad's garbage and mom's garbage. Mm-hmm. Ray's garbage. Super Jesse has no record at all. He's and like, he somehow like got out of it and has kept his nose clean, but this relationship with his brother is yeah. haunting. So she said that he was staying with them the night of Seth's murder, and he left at 1 a.m. And so they're like, oh, do you know where we could find him? And she's, I love her. Yeah. There's this piece of white trash used to visit him in prison. A stripper named Cindy Stocklash might be shacked up with her. Benson's apartment. She's going over her mom's case and she's listening to the recording and she's like Ugh. mouthing along yes. to what her mom's saying because she's, she's listening, listening to it yeah. so many times. It's hard. Her mom's interview tape. Yeah. She's going over everything again and she goes to the landing that her mother was raped on and... Ugh. Yeah, that sucked. Yeah. Cut to the hotel where... Munch and Cassidy are standing outside a door of people fucking. You can hear, yeah. How... Do you, do you think that the censors just really struggled with the show? Man, they're tackling all this stuff that we don't have any precedent for it. And they're like, hey, we're going to have a scene where you can hear people fucking, but you can't see them fucking. Yeah. Munch and Cassidy bang on the door. People stop fucking. Just a minute. This lady. <laughs> Why does it sound like Mrs. Doubtfire? When- I, oh my god! I was gonna say, I was gonna say, who am I, Mrs. Doubtfire? <laughs> Put the, the cake on your face. The family's coming. <laughs> so Benson and Stabler are behind the building, and there's one window to this hotel room. Window opens. Ray Gunther plops out out of the window onto the ground. Where they arrest him, yeah. Wearing a wife beater and slacks, and she's yelling, "Don't you hurt him!" And for some reason, he's like, shut the hell up. Because he's awful. Yeah. I told you to shut up. And then after she's arrested, he's like, don't worry. They got nothing on me. It's like, now, okay, what? Now she doesn't have to shut up. Like, I don't. You've never been in that relationship? (laughs) I never know when to shut the hell up. If I knew, maybe he'd be nice to me. Oh, my God. That's not me making fun of any, but that's me reflecting of my own past. Same. Oh, I like how kind of aggro Stabler gets on Ray. For he doesn't of- put up with men treating women the way this guy is clearly treating women. Also, he's a, like a known super rapist. So he was like, don't talk to Olivia like that and kind of gets like aggro on him. And yeah. it's sexy as fuck. Oh, my God. Game. Stabler gets all sexily aggro on Ray for being shitty to Benson. Hot. I say <laughs> Langdon's a chode to Benson, but Stabler's not having it. So Ray avoids questions at first, but he did say that he used to see Seth at the gym in the building when he'd work out with his brother when he was staying there with mm-hmm. his brother and his brother's nameless wife. So it cuts to Craigan's office. There's a little comedy duo here. Who's on first, am I right? They go into the office and Stabler's like, hey, if this is about me getting a little handsy with Ray, and he was like, wait, what? And Olivia was like, nothing, what's up? The lab got the full DNA back and it isn't Ray's. So they're at their forensic office and they're getting all shitty with this lady that's like, I fucking told you. It was like the short version. Version. It's not Ray, but it's a familial match. Boom, brother! So it's the brother, yep. they assume. Anyways, they're in the interrogation room to get Super Jesse in. They need a blood test. And they're like, a blood test would clear you. What? Why don't you just take a blood test? And he's like, I think I want a lawyer. And they're like, you can just leave. And all of us were like, what? Yeah, there's like a weird moment where he was like, okay, see ya. Okay, so they're at the precinct again, and they're talking about how at Ray's trial, they did a sympathy plea for the serial rapist Ray. He claimed that he and Jesse were raped by their dad as children. 
The Menendez defense. The Menendez defense, yeah. Jesse lied on the stand and said that it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. They're going back and forth and they're talking about nature versus nurture. Are people just born bad? And it's all hitting a little too close to home for Olivia. Yeah. So Stabler kind of follows her and he's like, what's up? She's like, well, if that's true that people are born bad, then am I bad? Inherent behavior. Yeah. Right. This weird moment. So they're in the DA's office and they're just like, we don't have anything. Everything is like tied up with lawyers and shit. Yeah. They're having a hard time getting Jesse's blood test because of the ACLU, mm-hmm. the American Civil Liberties Union. Mm-hmm. They're saying that it's infringing on the rights of a dude who's never been in trouble because of who his brother is. For mm-hmm. sure. Now they're back to discussions of getting Bob Saget's videotape. Yeah. So which is also caught up in litigation. Yeah. I love this fucking part. Oh, okay. I love when Craig and does anything. First yeah. of all, when why he gets, is he like, doing so? He's like, I'm going to go grab a coffee and go talk to that cop. Yeah. So he meets this officer Bandolini in a park. They, yeah. They sit on a bench together. Yeah. And so Craigan is trying to convince him to give the tape totally respectfully. Craigan goes on. I love when he does this. He goes on this story about us, this golfer in the 20s yeah. where the ball got lost and he like moved a leaf off the ball and nobody saw him and he totally could have just been like, oh yeah, totally nailed it. But he was honest about it and he ended up losing the open by one stroke. Yeah. But he said, well, I can sleep at night. I did the right thing. And he asked Officer Bandolini, how are you sleeping, bro? And Craig was just a game. This is my life we're talking about. Yeah, which Craig is true. like, oh my God, it was a whole life metaphor. Can't you tell I'm dadding yeah. you right now, Bob Saget? It's something yeah. that you're very good at. Craigan like gives him his word. He's like, bro, I'm not going to let anybody know you're gay. It's fine. Right. Dude hands him the tape. They're at the precinct watching the tape and they're enhancing this 1999 technology. Like every security camera 20 years later in the future isn't a pixely fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> zoom in on that. All right, yeah. zoom in on that. Also, Munch is totally handling. It. They're like, "Oh, you must know a lot about videotape, whatever." And he's like, "I dabble." I don't right. get you. You were pissed about laptops three episodes ago. On the video, oh, they Munch. see Jesse at the door. Like he said, he he went up for the noise, and they see him at the door, but he never goes in. The door closes, and then Seth opens up to go out the door, and Munch eagle eyes Ray because he sees there's like a mirror. Yeah, and he's like, "Zoom in on." that zoom in on that yeah and then you see creepy ray leaning against a wall in the hallway from the reflection of the mirror yeah on the wall in the apartment so ray is standing there waiting for seth to come out yeah we're back to ray what the fuck Mm -hmm. so benson and stabler are talking to jesse's no-name wife she fucking hates ray And she says that they're blaming Jesse for Ray's crime. And when Ray was in prison, he would call Jesse until he would agree to come visit. Every time he would go to visit his brother, Jesse would come home super depressed and go on like a crazy bender and come back his normal self. This woman has so much patience because he would go, he would disappear. He wouldn't talk to her about anything. Yep. Is she a ghost? Is that why she doesn't have a name? Is she not really real? He's like, you won't talk to me. And he's like, sixth sensing. Oh my God, Stabler's Bertolis. All right, so it's not Ray's jizz, but it's in the bloodline. (laughs) Why won't Jesse give us the blood test? She finally tells the real story. The brothers were drinking together. They went up at 1 a.m. and only Jesse came down. Ray came down a few minutes later and dragged Jesse out. Jesse didn't come home until after 2. And she's like crumbling that she has to tell them this. Yeah. Dude, what would you do? Because... In movies, and like the mom and the wife, they always lie for their husband. Like, would you do that if John? Or would you be like, get this murderer out of my house? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Because it's really hard. Like, when you're in, like, a really intense, scary situation. You want to, like, work together. 
or well, something? Well, I think part of it is, you know, the way our brains will compartmentalize shit to be able to handle a trauma. Hmm. I could see myself maybe doing that at first because I'm in denial that the possibility is there that that happened mm-hmm. because I have my set opinions of who my husband is. Yeah. So if somebody was like, hmm, somebody's dead and... It could be your husband's fault. And there's a few things pointing that way. I I might be like, I'm going to cover for him because there's no way that this is true. And we just have to figure it out. Yeah. Let's figure out what happened. It wouldn't wouldn't compute. And also there's a denial factor going in. So now there's enough time has passed that now she's sitting here talking to these cops, maybe putting pieces together in her mind. And it's like, all right, I'm going to tell you. This is what really happened. But when you don't know, it's like, oh, I don't want him to get blamed or, you know, he's got this bad luck because he comes from this horrible family. I'm the one who's in charge of protecting this person and all those other thoughts. Dude, so if your husband, John, Mm -hmm. murdered somebody, I'd narc him out in a second. You would. Yeah, you would. If you did, I'd be like, here's what we're going to (laughs) do. Gather your children. (laughs) We're going to Mexico. Thank you. I don't know if that's true, though. You never know what you do in those situations. Yeah. Until it happens. Like when people are like. I feel like I would hit denial first pretty hard. And Mm -hmm. then they're going to do another lap. Like they've done another lap on this wife who I wish had a name. Let's give her a name. Can we just. Can we just. Fucking finish. What? All right. So Benson and Stabler are at Ray's work. And he's being a terrible trash goblin in a human suit. (laughs) Oh, I just imagined th- that. He yeah. Gets and you picture like, unzips and he's like, oh, I can relax. I, don't know. I guess I feel like that's how trash demons talk like babies, like man babies. <laughs> I'm going to go get dwunk. <laughs> All right. I'm going to sit down and watch my stowies. <laughs> it's a nice glass of wine. Wait. All right. Get out of here. I put this wump roast in the cup. <laughs> Okay. Oh. <laughs> Stop. Stop. Don't even look at me. Okay. Cool, cool. Keep going. All right. Don't fucking say another thing with a W in it. Okay. I won't. I want to get finished with this. I have to. That was like... too close. You're like, I won't. So he's telling them that it was a joke. I got confused by this when he's like telling us. I had to watch this scene a few times. He was explaining to them that he would tell Jesse that Seth was his girlfriend when they'd see him in the gym and they'd exchange little winks back and forth at each other. That night, Ray waited in the hallway and when Seth came out, he told him to go up on the roof and that Jesse would be right up. And they were like, why did you do that? And he's like, sibling rivalry. Yeah. Then he goes on to say that he had told the truth about their dad. He was pissed at Jesse and he resented him for lying on the stand about that Mm -hmm. and he just said yeah i set him up it was a practical joke so then he's hilarious so jesse is in the interrogation room he admitted to lying on the stand and some of the ways that ray would harass him from prison and as they were getting older he would tell him that he liked what their dad did to him Mm -hmm. and he's crying and he's like at seven years old and that jesse would end up in prison someday because it was his legacy dude what a fuck so jesse said he was wasted and he painstakingly told them what happened he knew that ray was leading him up to the roof but like hear his 
is here Ray calling him up Yeah, there. he was he was in a brownout. Yeah. Like not quite a blackout because he remembers bits and pieces throughout, but not enough to be like aware during it. He just knew that Ray was leading him up to the roof, then his pants were down and someone was on their knees. That was the next thing he knew. Yeah. And he just was bawling and he's like, I killed him. He came out of this fog that he was in to Ray laughing at him because Seth was giving him a beach. Mm-hmm. And Ray was standing in the doorway. Saying like, I told you. Yeah. And Jesse got so upset, but he was super drunk and he's bawling telling the cops he thought he was hitting Ray, but he was actually hitting Seth. He Ray started was, like lashing out and was like, I just wanted him to stop laughing and was like beating the shit out of him. And he's who like, he, and he was, was still laughing. Oh, it was so, it was a really hard scene. So and he did it until he, until it was quiet. Yeah. And when he looked down, it was Seth. And Seth was dead. And then Ray was like, welcome to the family. Oh my God. That sick book. Yeah. Craigan and DA. Because Craigan's like, please tell me we can charge Ray with something. Yeah. And he's like, we'll charge Ray with inciting a murder, depraved indifference, and accessory. And with Ray's priors, he'll be doing more time than Jesse. Yeah. And he was like, make sure that he does. So then Olivia takes off to get some answers. She's on the street looking up at this old guy in a window, and the visuals make us believe it's her mom's rapist, and Stabes is in the car. So she stands there for a while looking at him, and then she gets in the car and just says, he's not my father. And Stabler goes... You sure? And Olivia says, positive. But we're like, are you? That was positive with an ellipsis after it. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for this. And I was going to do the Menendez brothers, but I was like, oh my gosh, there's like a million things that are done on them. Mm -hmm. Um, Like really good things. You know, I really don't know a whole lot about the Menendez. Isn't that... When you told me that you didn't, I almost was like, I'm going to get Gabe a little gift. I'm going to do this on the Menendez brothers so that she can hear the whole story. But then I found this other thing. I had other ideas. Google it. It's easy. (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling it's going to come up again. So don't Google any thing because I'll tell you about it at some point maybe oh, maybe in to. years to come now I want to google stuff or do whatever I don't care I'm gonna do this week's chaser on the bullshit that they kicked off this episode with conversion therapy Ooh. Okay. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Yeah. Well, don't be because you're just gonna get pissed. I'm excited to get pissed. Um, no, I mean like don't be excited because you're gonna be mad by the end and you'll probably be like, get out of my house. <laughs> so some things that conversion therapy or reparative therapy has included is ice pick lobotomies. Whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> it's fucked, dude. When did they? When, when did these start? Or, sorry, go ahead. Chemical castration with hormonal treatment, aversive treatments, such as the application of electric shock to the hands and or genitals, nausea-inducing drugs administered simultaneously with the presentation of homoerotic stimuli, and masturbatory reconditioning. More recent clinical techniques used in the United States have been limited to counseling, visualization, social skills training, psychoanalytic therapy, and spiritual interventions such as a quote-unquote prayer and group support and pressure. Hold on. What's socialization therapy? Is that where they're like, oh, you're a lesbian? Here's how to wear some kind of stereotype, I'm sure, you know. I bet it's like how to go on a date with a guy. And put on a pair of pumps (laughs) or whatever. I don't know. Whatever they think a lady is supposed to be. Here's some kitten heels. Go to church, bitch. (laughs) 
though there are some reports of aversive treatments through unlicensed practice as late as the early 2000s. So remember, the aversive treatments are those fucked up ones that I just listed. Yeah. The term reparative therapy has been used as a synonym for conversion therapy in general, but it's been argued that, strictly speaking, it refers to a specific kind of therapy associated with the psychologist Elizabeth Moberly and Joseph Nicolosi. Nickelodeon. Joseph Nickelodeon. Yeah, I've heard of him. Rugrats. Are you afraid of the dark? So Joseph Nicolosi, Benjamin Kaufman, and Charles Saccharides? Saccharides. We don't care how to pronounce his name. Okay, cool. In 1992, they founded the organization NARTH, the National Association for Research and Therapy of Homosexuality. Mm -hmm. It's also known as the NARTH Institute. This organization promotes conversion therapy, which has been completely rejected by the APA, which is the American Psychology Association. Also, NARTH claims that homosexuality is a mental disorder, which has been rejected by every other medical organization. A quote that I found coming from NARTH said, behind every homosexual person or gay person is a heterosexual person that has not emerged. If you poke my eye out because you're throwing shit, I'll understand. Every Stop! Every major health organization in the world has confirmed that homosexuality is not a mental disorder. Yeah, yeah. It's stupid that I have to say that. Mm -hmm. Studies have shown that sexual orientation change efforts are not successful and cause harm to individuals who undergo this treatment. Also, not to mention it's been proven to be unethical and not recognized as a form of therapy by the American Psychological Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Psychiatric Association, and the American Medical Association. Mm -hmm. So all of the associations. Yeah. But then somebody's like, well, what about the American Jesus Association? <laughs> the World Psychiatric Association has been quoted as saying, there is no sound scientific evidence that innate sexual orientation can be changed. Furthermore, so-called treatments of homosexuality can create a setting in which prejudice and discrimination flourish and they can be potentially harmful. And one of the things that I read said in the 90s, NARTH treated about a thousand patients and, quote, cured over a third by dealing with the parental causes of an absent father and overbearing mother. Oh my fucking God. Fuck you. Women can't get a fucking, they can't do anything right. No. So the long and short of this organization is fuck these homophobes and I hope that in their next life that they're dung beetles. The ones that like roll poop up? Yeah. Okay. Like, that's what they do with their lives. But they like that because they're dung beetles. <laughs> they're like, this is yeah. what I want to do. Okay, then they're... How I about they're a dung beetle that with a with the brain of a butterfly? And they're like, I gotta, I can't, I'm not meant to do this. And they're like rolling dung. <laughs> And they're like, I hate this. That sounds like a children's <laughs> book. <laughs> so I looked into the guys who started the NARTH Institute. Yeah. Joseph Nicolosi died in 2017 of flu-related illness, but not before he published his final book, which was a revised edition of his 2002 piece of trash, A Parent's Guide to Preventing Homosexuality. But he's dead. And Charles Saccharides. Oh, he was the father of five children, including a son from his first marriage, Richard. Richard is gay and was Bill Clinton's senior advisor for public liaisons for gay and lesbian issues. Oh, shit. I, I know, his dad right? was pissed. Yeah. Fuck you, Chuck. <laughs> I'm gay, Dad. Ugh. Just can you imagine the childhood of not only having your parent not accept who you are, but also be the founder of an organization that is the cornerstone for conversion therapy? Mm -hmm. You know that guy got 
conversion therapy, mm-hmm. that yeah. kid. Yeah. Then he created an amazing platform with it. Or he was really good at like faking not being gay and until he got old enough to move out. I All need, of that sucks. I need to Google that guy. Yeah. Well, I was going to do it on that, but then I was like, okay, well, Charles Sakharides died of heart failure in t- 2005. Both these dudes got to live to be really fucking old. Mm-hmm. Fuck them because they're, ugh. I just hate that they got to live that long. <laughs> But I wanted to focus today's chaser on the living founder of this bullshit organization, Dr. Benjamin Kaufman. Calvin Chang was working at the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitations in Sacramento, California. Who's Calvin Chang? He's a licensed attorney with over 20 years of law enforcement experience. Mm -hmm. In April of 2015, he filed a discrimination complaint against his employer, claiming that he was denied promotion because of his sexual orientation. So the CDCR referred him to Dr. Benjamin Kaufman, who is a psychiatrist. What's the CDCR? The California Department of Corrections, where Calvin Chang worked. Oh. Yeah. After he had filed this discrimination complaint, they referred him to the psychiatrist. There was nothing I could find that implied that there was any lawful basis to refer him. Yeah. That's odd. Yeah. I don't know. In Chang's complaint, he said that Kaufman told him that he was a conservative Republican, so he knows discrimination. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the most oppressed demographic in the U.S. is like straight Christian white males. Did you know that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a war against Christianity and white men. Right. They're not getting a fair shake anymore. Nope. They have very little representation. Be cool, be cool, be cool, be cool, be cool. So Chang was given, quote, reparative therapy without his consent. Kaufman threatened to have him fired if he refused to accept a demotion. So he goes in like, hey, I've been working here for a shitload of time. I'm really qualified and I'm not. Like, here's the thing is like that people saying that people that are discriminated against or that feel discriminated against, it's like, well, why don't you say something? Why don't you? This is why. Assert yourself. And it's like, because you get shit on. Because, it, you know, it's. And you're you become gonna, like the office pariah and shit and like All right. you get treated like shit yeah you Even either more. get you get run out of your job like so he was he either was to accept a demotion and go to this he was not getting a promotion he was also getting a demotion yes oh my he what said, year was this but no i'll tell you that 2015 is when the what? complaint yes <laughs> I thought this was like 1982 or something. No, he filed the discrimination complaint in April of 2015. Okay, so when Kaufman threatened to have him fired, keep in mind this guy was acting as his psychiatrist. He asked Kaufman why he thought he should accept a demotion and why he thought that he couldn't perform the essential functions his job asked of him. And he said, quote, the idea that you're being discriminated against on the basis of lifestyle and basis of skin color or ethnicity and seeing everything through that lens. So he's telling him, he's like, like, oh, you're, you're just seeing it that way. How you you're... see it is wrong. And so you can't perform your job. So you need to accept a demotion to even consider continuing to work for this company. Oh, my fucking God. Okay. Oh, you're not even going to, like, I'm not done pissing you off. Chang had a full list of issues that he had with Kaufman in his few few visits. He, he saw him four times. Every fucking time was damaging. Yeah. But he had a list of issues he had with Kaufman. And one of the more disturbing ones was he was confined in a room with a large dog under compelled coercion behind numerous locked doors. With a dog? With a dog. With a large dog locked in this room. Him and another dog were locked in a room. Well, he wasn't a dog. No, him and the dog were locked. Him and the dog. I mean, was the dog in there like snarling on a chain and they're like, quit being gay. He said that it was a disturbing experience. He was locked behind several doors in a room with a dog for like what purpose? Obviously, this guy didn't want to be locked in a room with a dog. 
dog. I do. Am I dreaming right now? Like you're not even here. I'm. I'm still asleep because this doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. This is not that long ago. Therapy. I don't understand how. Why put him in a room with a dog? What does the dog? What's the point of it? Was there any books in there? Like, <laughs> I'm just seeing like a white room and him sitting on the floor with like I'm hoping like a dog sitting in his lap and they're like, hey. I saw a concrete room with no windows and I pictured an angry unkempt dog. So it could be somewhere in the middle of that. It could be either way. Were they way. trying to be like? Either way, this guy is in a locked fucking room after he made a complaint against his employer at the psychiatrist. I remember when I was younger, like 16, and I was talking to people about how. I didn't understand gay marriage wasn't legal. And they were like, well, who was next? They're, they're going to marry a horse? And you're, I was like, what? Did they put him in the room with a dog to see if he fell in love with him? Is that what you're saying? Like, were they trying to do some kind of conservative study where they're like, if you put a gay guy in a room with a dog, he's going to fuck it or something? Oh, my God. I don't know. I mean, that, I don't oh know. Oh, my God, wasn't for you. It was for like, that's, I wouldn't put that out of the realm of possibility because all of the ideas that I've seen or that I saw in this organization are all fucked. Mm-hmm. So there's no explanation for why they put him in the, there with a the dog. There's not. No, I tried to find his. You know, um, for how long? His full complaint. Any amount of time is not. No, cool. I'm just. Wondering. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. This is like some weird episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. So Kaufman apparently disclosed Chang's private information to the prison's department, along with false allegations that Chang would be a threat to certain officials. And this information was also in Chang's complaint as the source for him losing his job. So he was fired following his fourth session with Kaufman. That was his last session he had with him. What? Mm-hmm. He would have been eligible for a public safety pension three years later, so he really got fucked. What the actual fuck? Mm-hmm. But Chang sued for damages for civil rights violations, defamation, discrimination, aiding and abetting discrimination, privacy invasion, fraud, deceit, violation of medical privacy, retaliation, professional negligence, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Fuck yeah. But I couldn't find any information on the settlement or if it's been resolved. (laughs) Yeah. I looked because I was like, I Maybe want him. Done yet. I want him to get like three million dollars. But I want him to I, get like ten million dollars. I want him to get a hundred million and get that dog and and be happy together. I want him to get a farm. I want him to have the dog. I want him to fall in love, and I want him to have ten million dollars. I gotta figure the, what kind of dog this was. What was going on? Kaufman was involved in a similar lawsuit in 2013. There were a ton of parallels in that case because a gay man sued the California Air Resources Board because Kaufman said that the man in 2013 was mentally unfit to perform his job as an air pollution specialist. Chang's case started in April of 2015. On October 7th of 2015, Kaufman surrendered his medical license to the Medical Board of California Department of Consumer Affairs. Because of that? No. Because he was found guilty of routinely prescribing Schedule 3 meds and mood stabilizers to a patient who suffered from alcoholism and severe depression. It had nothing to do with his fucking conversion therapy shit. He lost his license. I'm sure they were just like chomping at the bit to take this guy's fucking license for any reason. And I I hope so. He didn't see this patient in person. So it was deemed that his treatment of the patient was, quote, an extreme departure from the standard of care by failing to adequately diagnose and manage chronic alcoholism, leading to an irreversible neurological condition, which resulted in the incapacitation of the patient because the dude ended up in a coma on September 9th, 2011. So this was like an ongoing thing before he actually lost his license for it. But yeah, so he doesn't have a license anymore. This guy's a ghost on the fucking internet. I can find a lot of hate shit about him, or I shouldn't say a lot of hate shit, a lot of anti-Kaufman 
shit. Like, so this is great. Those other guys are dead. This guy is fucking unable to practice medicine, but don't be fooled because it's not anywhere close to over. Narth has rebranded itself as the Alliance of Therapeutic Choice and Scientific Integrity. Oh, God, I can't. Ex-gay therapy for minors, reparative therapy or conversion therapy. It's prohibited in California, Illinois, New Jersey, Oregon, and D.C. Is it there are organizations that want to try to have it banned across the entire country. And I think... Like banned federally instead of state. Yeah, but at least for minors is like the first goal. Yeah. Because these kids are being sent to shit like this yeah. against their will. But I mean, look at what happened to this adult man who was just looking to get a promotion at his job that he was good at. So with that, if you've been harmed or abused by Dr. Kaufman or Narth, please contact W. Benson, W-B-E-S-E-N, at truthwinsout.org. Truth Wins Out, or two, is a nonprofit organization that works to demolish the very foundation of anti-gay prejudice. This is from their Facebook page. Our philosophy is simple. We attack the underpinnings of homophobia by debunking harmful lies, discrediting hateful myths, and countering anti-gay organizations. By chipping away at the underlying ignorance that fuels anti-LGBT attitudes, we can ultimately win our fight for fairness and achieve full equality for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people worldwide. Cool. I know. Yeah. That was a bummer. Yep, <clears throat> bummer. I'm going to... Chasers are bummers. I'm going to go... I'm going to look up some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So... We're letting you guys know that we are going to be taking what we call a little intermish. We're not calling it that, but I just call no, it that. No, we're not calling it that. <laughs> little little intermish. Yeah, that's not. Don't don't. We're not doing that. It's like a cabaret <laughs> rapper. <laughs> just keep going. Um, <laughs> since each season of SVU is fucking extensive, mm-hmm. the first season has twenty two episodes. So we're going to be taking an intermish. After mm. after episode 11, we're going to take four weeks, but we are not going to disappear for a month unless you're only in it for SVU recap content and you hate everything else that we do or say, <laughs> then see you a month later. But if not, we're going to be reading your emails. Send us true crime stories or if there was something that you heard that you wanted us to elaborate on more. Or things you notice that we didn't notice in the episodes. My favorite thing is to hear people's fucked up stories. Mm-hmm. So if you have a fucked up story, <laughs> we want to hear it. Yeah. And read it and keep you anonymous if you'd like. Yeah. I want to hear the things that people pick out. They're like, yeah. in, in that scene, she was wearing a purple shirt and they cut away for three seconds and she's wearing a striped shirt. I'd be like, I didn't even notice that. Like the orange juice thing. I was you know? going to say, like, I love an orange an orange juice moment, and if I miss one, let me know. Yeah. Just that guy on our Facebook group did that. He's like, they're not even trying anymore. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you can either email us at svupod at gmail.com, send us a DM on Instagram, we're at svupod, or join our group svupod on Facebook, and you can Facebook message us. So that's it. So that'll be after episode after episode 11, we're going to take our inner mesh. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Are we done? Yeah. All right. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. What? What is the name of this episode? I forgot. Bad blood. Bad blood. Okay. Yeah. It's about Taylor Swift. I'm not going to. Get it. Get it. Because there's a song. Ugh. I'm embarrassed. 
that was actually funny. Remember when I had that ex oh, that would say that to me? Yes. <laughs> and you're like, capture some precious flowers. <laughs> beautiful and hilarious. Yeah. It's actually funny. Like, yeah. Yeah, it was fucking funny. You're pissed because she's funnier than you. Mm. I hate you. <laughs> Can you blank out the name and but still have me say that in there? Sure. I hate you, blimp. Yeah, well, that's what friends are for, shaming each other. <laughs> I wish you could have seen your own. Like, Here's Kenzie Heels, go to church, match. <laughs> I have a family to get to. 